It's wonderful to be able to have the opportunity to share with you this morning as we're beginning a series on praying together and discovering the power of prayer. And really, we're beginning a year here at Concord United Methodist where we're going to be focused intentionally on praying together, on learning to pray. And it's such a fundamental part of who we are. I want to share with you right now, there are some of you going, oh man, I don't know how to do that. I'm, 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 not, in, I'm not into that. Hey, don't worry. Everyone can do it. I promise. I, I, I promise. It, it, it's just like going to school. Sometimes you think, oh, that next grade, that's going to be so hard. I still, oh gosh, I remember fourth grade, long division. I thought I will never make it through long division. I made it through long division. I remember seventh grade diagramming sentences. Seventh grade, diagramming sentences. I thought I will never make it through diagramming sentences. I married a lady. She likes to diagram sentences. She does it for fun. I survived it, right? And, and you, you, can, you can do it. There's things that, that you, don't, you don't think you can do that, that you can do if you'll learn, and if you'll do, you know, what, what it takes to, to get there. And particularly, kids, one of the great things about school is the older you get in school, the more you get to choose your own classes. And not surprisingly, the more you get to choose your own classes, uh, the more you get to pick classes you like. And right now there are middle schoolers and their parents are looking at them going, you tell me before you choose anything. Uh, but as you choose, you, you get more and more as you're older into subjects that you're just really interested in and, and passionate about. And you can do the work. You can see, okay, I really want to do this, so I need to take these classes, so I'm ready for, for this class. And there's a name for what you have to take to get yourself ready, and it's a really big word. It's prerequisite, right? Some of you remember when you were in college, you had prerequisite courses that you had to take to get to a course you really wanted to take. Uh, if you haven't been there yet, let, let me describe, kids, what a prerequisite is. How many of you have ever been at the dinner table and you've heard your parents say, you wash your hands before you eat. That is a prerequisite. That is an important prerequisite before coming to the dinner table. And sometimes in our families, we have prerequisites that are really important and urgent. When we're having chicken salad for dinner, it's, hey, please wash your hands. Five minutes later, hey, wash your hands, let's start dinner. When we have pizza... I believe God did not intend for pizza to be eaten lukewarm. God intended for pizza to be eaten hot. And when we bring home pizza, it's you wash your hands and you come to the dinner table because we got to all pray before any of us can eat. So get those hands. Well, it's a very urgent prerequisite. Okay. Uh, so when I was in college, I had a friend who had a very important prerequisite. He needed to take one particular class to graduate. And if he could take that class and graduate, he had a job lined up for himself after graduation. But if he could not get into that class and graduate that year, he would have to stay around the area. He could not move to take this job, and he would have to pay for tuition for the coming year. We roughly estimated that whether or not he got into this one particular class was about a $60,000 impact, right, on, on his finances. So it's very important. Now today, if a college student needs to sign up for a class, I promise this relates to prayer. I, 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 just, just hang with me. All right, today, if a college student has to sign up for a class, whatever day you can sign up for probably starts about 7 a.m. All they have to do is set their alarm, wake up, get online, and hit submit. 
Not back then. Back then, you had to go to the administrative building at the top of the hill, and you had your little slip of paper with the classes you wanted, and there was like thousands and thousands of students, and I promise there was always like one registrar. And you stood in line, and they typed it in. So my friend convinced me, I, this is because I'm a good friend, said, hey, would you get up early with me? Let's go get, get in line. And for, for some reason, I did. And so we get up to go, and we get there at 6.30 to start standing in line. The doors will open at 7. It's first come, first serve for the classes. And that, we had to hike up that hill. It was like 15 degrees. There were three inches of snow on the ground. There was a layer of ice under that. I mean, we had like uh, metal spikes and ice picks, and we're climbing up that hill to get in line. That's how I remember it. I'm told it was actually a brisk 35 that day. Uh, but that's how I remember it. And we're, we're standing in line, and then he tells me, he goes, you know, I don't have one of the prerequisites I need for this class. I'm like, you don't have the prerequisite? What, what are you going to do? And I said, did you go talk to the professor? He said, no, I have a plan. He said, see all these students in line? There's one registrar, and it's done by hand. She'll never catch it. I'm just going to go pretend like I'm supposed to be allowed to sign up for the class. I'm going to get in. Well, he went, he signed up, she didn't catch it, he got in the class, and everything was great until the first day of class. And after the first class, the professor called him, said, hey, will you come up and talk to me? And the professor says, I saw you don't have the prerequisite. And his heart sank. And he thought, my whole future is going to have to be adjusted because I didn't have the prerequisite and he won't let me in. And then the professor said, all you had to do was ask. All you had to do was ask. I know about your situation and I'll help you any way I can get, get through this course. Some of us, we don't think we have the prerequisites we need to pray. We don't think we know enough about the Bible to pray. We don't think we've lived good enough lives to pray. We don't think we have fancy enough words about God and know enough about the church's beliefs and about how to pray to actually for God to hear us and for us to, to hear God. That's not true. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask because God literally created you to pray. In fact, as we saw in the introduction to this sermon series, there are all these languages all over the world. One of the things that makes humans amazing is our ability to create languages. And there's one language that's spoken everywhere, and that's the language of prayer. You see, prayer is God's gift to us, and the purpose of prayer is to give us a language for relating directly to God. Now, imagine, imagine if you were in a marriage and you didn't talk to each other for years. How healthy would that marriage be? How close would that marriage be? Uh, some of y'all are looking at each other right now and you're like, I told you we should talk more. I, 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 I told you not just to say fine when I ask you how your day was. But of course we talk some. But imagine if you didn't talk for years. 
there, there would be no way to have a, a healthy marriage. It's like that in our relationship with God. We have to talk to God. And just like in our relationships to one another, we don't always say the right thing. But if at least we're talking, generally we can get to where we need to be, even if we don't start out on the right foot. If you're not talking at all, you, you just can't, you can't get there. Here's the thing about the language of prayer. Like any language, it must be learned. You must learn the language of prayer. And I have so much respect for people who can learn foreign languages. I have tried. For two years, I tried to learn French in high school. Here's what I can tell you. Bonjour. For two years, I tried to learn Spanish in college. Here's what I can tell you. Hola, como estas? With a southern accent. Uh, For two years, I, I, I learned Greek in seminary to try and be able to read the New Testament in its original language. Here's what I can tell you, still Greek to me. (laughs) And yet I know people who are fluent in three, four, five languages. In fact, I had a friend, and after I was describing my struggle with language, he said, well, I learned Spanish in three months. You did what? You learned Spanish in three months? How did you learn Spanish in three months? He said, well, how'd you learn? How'd you try to learn? I said, well, I went to class three days a week and I did my homework for two years. He said, well, here's what I did. I went to class every single day for six hours a day for a month. And when I had lunch and dinner, I ate with people from that class and we only spoke to one another in Spanish. And after that month, I took a job for the next two and a half months in Central America where I only spoke it every day. And after that, I knew it. He got something I didn't. If you're going to learn the language, you've got to put yourself right in the middle of it. And you've got, to be, you've got to be doing it and participating in it. And once you do, it opens up this whole new world. It's kind of like one of the fascinations with language is that they find in every culture all over the world, and parents, you're, you might be clued into this already, teenagers create their own language, right? Adolescents create new terms and new slang, and they create it specifically for the purpose of having a language that the adults don't know. That happens everywhere. And as soon as we learn it, as soon as a significant percentage of the adults learn the slang terms, the teenagers create new ones. That's, that's how it works. No matter how much you, you try to keep up, as soon as you get there, they're going to create new ones. That's when, what we did when we were teenagers. They, they create these new terms. And once you know the terms, oh, it opens up a whole new world. You know, I, I, every, every year I have to get a few teenagers from the church and I have to be like, I have a secret mission for you. You're going to be my interpreter, right? And you're going to tell me what these words mean. And if any of them mean something that you can't say in church, you're just going to tell me to Google it, okay? Now, can, can, can you help me with that? And they're like, yeah, most of the time. And then some of the time they do. But once you learn what they mean, it's like, Oh, oh my goodness, that's, that's what that means. If you think about our chance to be in relationship with one another, I think a lot about stories that my wife has shared with me. She works in a pharmacy, and she is able to speak Spanish fairly well. And she has families that come in, and they're terrified because they don't speak good English. 
And they're concerned that they won't get the medical care they need because they won't be able to communicate the way they need to. And when she first addresses them in Spanish and they're aware that she can communicate with them, she said all of a sudden it's these smiles and, and this joy and these relationships that happen because you can speak the language. It's like that in prayer. When you can speak God's language of prayer, it opens up a whole new world and whole new relationships to you. And I want you to know how badly we need this language, how badly we need to speak this language in church, how badly we need to speak this language at home. Because if you just speak the language of our culture, our culture's language has other gods. Our culture's language has gods that are good things, but they're not worthy of worship. Parents, as you are raising your children, the older they get, the more you are going to be pressured to raise them according to the gods of our culture. And I can tell you what the gods of our culture are for our children. The gods of our culture for our children are academics, athletics, and arts. And all those are wonderful things. I want my children to do well in academics, and if they don't, we have a conversation. I want my children to enjoy athletics and teamwork and building up your body. I want my children to learn arts, and I would love if one day one of them knew how to play the drums like Tom or the, the guitar like Dennis, I, that, that would uh, amaze me and, and I'd find so much joy in that. Those things are all good, but what this culture is going to tell you is that they're God and that you should put them above all other things, even church, even family. That's what our culture is going to tell you. And for adults, the culture is going to tell you that your God is financial achievement. And you should put it above all other things. I believe God wants us to have enough resources to provide for our family and to give generously to help others. I believe that's within the will of God. But just acquiring resources, it's a poor God. And this language of prayer helps us learn who the real God is. And when we talk about prayer, what matters isn't that you're good at it. It's that Jesus is real good at it. In fact, he's the only one who's fluent at it, and he's your conversation partner. So our kids have come together. Uh, one of our uh, young persons in the church who's, who's a great guy named Will, uh, he, he read the scripture for today for us. We're going to show you a video of him in just a moment. But what I want you to know is he's reading from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' most famous teachings in the Gospel of Matthew come from the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. The middle of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus' most famous teaching is about prayer. That's how important it is to Jesus. And Will's going to tell us about it right now. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So we want to look at those basic teachings from Jesus and say, what do we learn about learning to pray? Well, we be, he begins by saying, hey, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray in public so that others can see them. Go, go pray in private. Uh, he doesn't want us pr to pray just to be impressive to others. He said, if you do that, it's not going to lead you closer to God. He says, by, by, by the way, uh, don't just use big words. Don't think you can use big words and impress God. God's not impressed with your vocabulary. I can tell you, I've learned a lot of big words about God. I don't really use those when I pray. Most of my words when I pray are two and three syllables, uh, words, uh, just simple common language uh, to, to pray with. Uh, and then we see some principles of prayer. Now, you probably received your prayer guide when you came in. Uh, this is for you. This would be like when you're traveling in a foreign country and you have your little guide to help you. We created this to help you pray. Uh, and we want you to bring it with you each Sunday this month. And if you don't bring it with you each Sunday this month, we will give you a new one. Uh, when, when you come each Sunday, we, th we think it's that important to help us learn this language of prayer. If you look at what Jesus teaches us about prayer, sometimes we have some misconceptions, so we want to go over those. A according to Jesus, prayer is both public and private. Jesus did say, as we just read, hey, go into your room, shut the door and pray. Everybody needs those conversations. Just like every marriage, there are times when you've got to come together and you just need to talk just, just among you two. That, that's part of it. And you need that and you need it every day. Uh, we, we, we need that every single day and it won't happen without a plan. You've got to plan to make time for that every day. But prayer is also public and we should be prepared to, to pray in public. Can you imagine if one of Jesus's first followers that we read about in the Bible, if we went up to one of them uh, and read in the Bible that someone asked them to pray and they said, oh, I don't know how to do that or I don't know how to do that in public. Yet there are many Christians today who if you ask them to pray in public, even over a meal, would say, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like doing that. I'm, I'm not really into that. Hey, if that's you, hey, that's okay. That's not your fault. That's the church's fault for not doing a good enough job teaching the language of prayer. So we're, we're going to go back and teach it. And one of the things you'll find in here uh, is public prayer for important life events so that you can be thinking about when you have the opportunity to pray in public, how you want to do so. So we, we give basic guidance and advice for that. And I can tell you, if you will do that, you have no idea the difference it'll make. If you're visiting a friend who's going through a hard time and you just say, hey, let me pray for you, you might not pray the most eloquent prayer ever prayed. It will be a powerful, powerful experience. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've been in situations like that and have prayed a prayer that was, you know, incredibly imperfect. And people have said, when we were praying, I knew God was with me. It's amazing. 
And it honestly, it means even more coming from you than from me because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to pray at stuff like that. When you come along and you pray for somebody, it is powerful. And it's powerful for you too. There are moments when you'll be praying, when you'll be talking in front of other people and God will, will be talking to you, uh, learning uh, to do b- both of those uh, so that we can be shaped because this prayer literally shapes who we are. And then according to Jesus, prayer is both prescribed and spontaneous. We have prayers that we are taught to pray certain prayers. For instance, some of y'all, you sit down to eat and you're like, hey, I got it, you know, Um, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, right? Amen, prescribed prayer. Or some of you remember the the Johnny Appleseed prayer, right? The Lord's been good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the the appleseed. I've never actually planted appleseed, but I thank God for it a lot that that other people do. And then we need to be able to pray spontaneously at times. We want you and your soul to be shaped by the great prayers of the faith, Today, you just heard in Scripture uh, the Lord's Prayer when Jesus first taught it. We're going to pray that together today at at the end of the sermon. Also, in your prayer guide, you're going to find three of the other great prayers of the Christian faith. The prayer of St. Francis, uh, the Wesleyan Covenant prayer, and the Serenity prayer. And we'll be talking about those and learning to pray them in future weeks. We also need to be able to pray spontaneously when we need to talk to God. And one of the ways that Paul's already mentioned that we learn to do that is with the ACTS model of prayer. ACTS is, is it's just an acronym that helps us remember the elements that we find within the Lord's Prayer to help us pray in our situations. So it, it begins with adoration and then confession, then thanksgiving and supplication. Think, think about that. Uh, adoration, just saying, God, you're just so good. I thank you. That's uh, our father. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. That's adoration. Confession. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. We, we need to say, God, I'm sorry. I see what I've done. I'm sorry. Th- thanksgiving, right? Remember the Lord's prayer. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Thanksgiving. Supplication means asking for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. It, it, it all goes uh, along together. And as we, we think about that, we need to make time for that each day. One of the things we encourage you to be a part of is our daily Bible reading plan. And you can pick up a copy at the Information Center. You can also pick up a copy online at concordunited.org slash Bible. There you can find daily devotions that go along with it in email or podcast form. And if you sign up for the daily devotions, tomorrow you're going to get a daily devotion written by me, And it's going to walk you through how to pray the Lord's Prayer in both the prescribed and a spontaneous way. It's one of the most important elements of my personal spiritual life is praying through each line and then thinking about what it means for me at that time in my life, that day. I've done it every day for years, and it's it's one of the the most important things I do to grow closer to God. Then finally, I I have to share this with you. Uh, I would be lying to you if I I didn't share this with you. Some of you are going to be much happier about this than others. Uh, But when it comes to prayer in the Bible, um, according to Jesus, prayer includes fasting as a way to focus on God. And some of you are like, oh, I was hoping he'd leave that out. Uh, Because, you know, fasting, giving up a meal, uh, uh, was never my favorite thing to do. And I want you to know uh, that for Jesus... It's absolutely essential. It's also something that as a church, we want, we want you to know we're going to focus a lot on that. But 
we're going to give you like five months to warm up to the idea. Uh, so come Lent next spring, we're going to focus a lot on that. Right now, you, we just want you to warm up to the, the idea of it. And here's what I can tell you. If you want to try it before then, when we try it together as a, as a church, there's a couple principles. You can find them in here uh, that, to be aware of. One is don't start. If you haven't done it before, don't start by like fasting for two days. Try one meal. And don't make it about uh, your willpower, seeing if you can do it. Uh, make it about spending extra time focused on God. Start, start there, and then we'll, we'll come back to that together to, to more fully learn about and, and embrace that. But here's the most important thing. Just get started. Just, just, get, just get started with prayer for yourselves. If you're five years old, if you're 50 years old, if you're 95 years old, just, just go ahead and get started because all language shapes us. And prayer is the only language that shapes us like Christ. All language shapes us. You may have seen there's lady Laura Boroditsky. She gave a TED Talk. She's a professor from UC San Diego. And it was on how language changes us, how the language we use affects us. She tells the story in that talk of some Aborigine people in Australia uh, named uh, the Kook Theory. And the Kook Theory, uh, they have an interesting language. There's no word for right or left in their language. Uh, in their language, this would not be my right hand. This would be my north hand. And this would be my south hand. And if I were to turn like this, this would no longer be my north hand. This is now my west hand. Everything they say in terms of right or left is directional. In their language, to say hello, uh, you literally ask, which way are you going? And the response is, whichever way you're walking. So it's not like, how you doing? Good. It's, which way are you going? South, southeast. Now, that seems funny to us. We're like, oh, that, that seems cumbersome. Not sure how helpful that would be. Let, let me ask you something. If you lived like that, you think you'd know your directions pretty well? Um, who would you rather be lost in the woods with? Right? One of them. Their language shapes them. Our, our language fundamentally shapes us. Imagine you were going to try to climb Mount Everest and you interviewed two different companies to help you climb Mount Everest and their policies were fairly similar. Their safety procedures were fairly similar. And when it came down and you're focused on who will get me off the mountain alive. Imagine if one company, when you sign on the dotted line, they have in their policies that they will take no more than 11 paying units up the mountain. And if the other company says, we will take no more than 11 souls up the mountain, who's going to take better care of you, right? The one who recognizes you as a soul, not a paying unit. That says something. It shapes how we prioritize. It shapes what, what we do. So please... If you take nothing out of this today, just please, please, please don't worry about being good at prayer. Just worry about praying. Don't worry about being good at it. Just worry about doing it. And I can tell you that a lot of times, just like in our relationships, when you pray, uh, you're, it's not going to be just some magical experience. Just like in our personal relationships, most of the time we talk to each other and uh, we feel a little bit closer after we've talked to each other. 
a little bit. And over time, that little bit becomes a lot. But there are moments that are unmistakable. I'll tell you in my life, there's about five times when I've heard God speak unmistakably. And usually in those moments, it's not more than a couple sentences. Normally, it's something like, I forgive you. I'm here right now. You've heard me. Now go and do. You're not finished. Little comments like that. And those have fundamentally shaped and guided my life. And when we pray, even in those times when we don't feel it as miraculously, what we're doing is we're helping ourselves become sensitive to when God wants to speak. Because I think about those few times when I have heard God speak, and I think about how it shaped me, and I shudder to think about the times God has spoken and I haven't heard because I wasn't ready to listen. So start praying. Start praying, and I promise God is ready to listen and to be there. I promise there is no prerequisite except the desire to know God. That's all. So let's start praying together right now as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.